wondered what it's like to face the complex world of disability insurance claims as a physician? Meet Edward Dabdaub, the founding attorney at Dabdaub Law Firm. Eddie began his legal career working as a law clerk during law school at a disability insurance firm, and he would go on to build his own law firm for the sole purpose of handling disability insurance claims. He spent his entire legal career helping people get paid disability insurance benefits. Today, his firm represents all types of physicians across the country. Eddie specializes in physician disability insurance claims, appeals, and litigation. Eddie has represented many physicians and gained a deep understanding of the occupational duties of various medical specialties, and he's applied that knowledge to successfully obtain disability insurance benefits on behalf of physicians. He recently won a case on behalf of a liver transplant surgeon who had own occupation disability insurance. After suffering a fall, the doctor could no longer perform liver transplant, but continued to perform other types of surgeries. His insurance company denied his total disability claim on the grounds that he had more than one occupation, because prior to his disability, he performed other types of surgeries when not doing liver transplants. Eddie successfully argued before the federal court that his occupation was that of a liver transplant surgeon. Once he became unable to perform liver transplant, he was totally disabled from his own occupation despite continuing to do other surgeries. With experience litigating in both federal and state courts, Edward Dabdaub is a true hero for those seeking the disability insurance benefits they deserve. So if you or someone you know is navigating the challenging world of disability insurance, don't miss the opportunity to connect with Edward Dabdaub and his dedicated team at Dabdaub Law Firm. They've got your back. Stay tuned for another fascinating episode of the Physician's Guide to Doctoring. And remember, when life throws its toughest challenges your way, Edward Dabdaub and his firm are here to fight for your rights. Visit longtermdisability.net to learn more. This episode is about a lot of issues that I contend with. How can we be more present, manage our anger, and live more deliberately? Hey, this is Brad Block, host of The Physician's Guide to Doctoring. This is a personal and professional development podcast for physicians where we have experts on the show that try to teach us everything we should have been learning while we were memorizing Krebs cycle. On today's episode, we have Dr. Arpita Gupta de Palma and Dr. Michael Hirsch, the co-host of the podcast and YouTube channel, Doctors Living Deliberately. Dr. Gupta de Palma founded ThoughtWork MD to help physicians and professional women learn how to identify, manage, and then let go of what's not serving them through transformational mindset coaching. In addition to being the CEO and founder of ThoughtWork MD, she's a pediatrician, a medical practice owner, and co-founder of Virginia Eye Spine Physicians. After completing her coach certification with the Life Coach School in 2021, she went on to become a certi- to become certified as a trauma-informed professional coach with Lodestar and then earned her certification as an advanced deep dive coach with Bev Aaron in 2023. Dr. Hirsch, gastroenterologist, husband, father, podcaster, and physician coach, Better Physician Life Coaching. He coaches physicians on creating work-life balance, goal-setting, stress management, management, reducing overwhelm, and feeling more present at home and less annoyed at work. Those last two definitely resonate with me. His goal is to help physicians stop feeling trapped in medicine so they can finally enjoy the life they worked so hard to build. Dr. Gupta De Palma and Dr. Hirsch, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for having us. We appreciate it, Dr. Bloch. How's it going? 
It's going well. It's going well. Okay. So first questions for both of you. Why living deliberately? I think so much of life done just because, right? I don't think anybody really spends that much time thinking about why we're doing the things that we're doing. We just are living. And I think that is how Arpita and I were both living our lives until we found coaching and until we kind of saw that there is a different way to do things. Um, I think up until I found coaching, I was living at the effect of my life. So I things would happen and I would just kind of rail again and not know why all of this was happening to me. And I think what coaching showed me was that there are a lot of things in life that we can't control, but there are so many things that we can. And when we can focus on those things, when we can be deliberate about what we are focusing our attention on, our lives get so much better. And so I think when Arpita and I were talking about, you know, what do we want to present to doctors, what doctors need? And we just thought, you know, there needs to be more deliberate living. And so that's where we came up with Doctors Living Deliberately. In all honesty, we really like the alliteration of it. <laughs> well, I will say for me, what I recognized that I had like no awareness. There was no awareness. I was just running through the day-to-day rat race routine, hitting all the things, feeling exhausted at the end, and then waking up the next morning and starting all over again. And when I had the opportunity to actually just take a minute to pause and be like, okay, let's take a breath here. Let's really think about everything that we're doing. And I started with, let me remove one thing and see if anybody even noticed from my to-do list for the day. That's when I started to realize that a lot of the junk that I had in my life was my own creation, my own doing. And I had to make a choice and by being deliberate about what I wanted to pick and keep in my life and what I didn't, what was authentically bringing me joy and true to me versus not. And that's why I think we both felt like this is how we're going to teach and talk to people about how do you live deliberately? How do you make those choices and make changes in a way that you are living a life of intention? So that that's for me, it was just the fact that I realized how unaware I was of everything. I was just running, running, running. In my family, we have a, a story of, that kind of helps illustrate why my wife and I are more deliberate about things, but it hadn't really made its way into my professional life until I started listening to you guys on your podcast. My wife was raised a Christian, but her mom is Jewish. And so I'm Jewish and we decided we're going to raise our kids Jewish. And she went to a Passover Seder at my house and saw that we just blew through the Seder. Like we read the things because they were supposed to be read and there was no soul to the Seder, right? We were not being deliberate about it. And from then on, my wife was horrified. Like she had memorized the four questions in Hebrew and she did it. And then like the rest of the Seder was just like, just had no soul. So she, she was horrified by it. And so we talked about it and we decided like that, you know what? Doing it because it's always been done this way is a terrible reason to do anything. So we're going to be deliberate, not just about this, but try to be deliberate about everything in our life. And we're deliberate about like kids sports and after school activities. Like, I feel like parents get lost in that sometimes. Like, why is the kid playing baseball? Not because they've always played, but like, like, what is it for? What is it for? What is it? And you got to keep asking that. But it hadn't really spilled over into things that I was doing professionally. I wasn't being deliberate. So I love how you guys are, are shining a light on that and helping physicians to really be, it's consistent with the theme here at 
Physicians Guide to Doctoring, help physicians be the best versions of ourselves. So Arpita, you have spoken quite a bit about managing anger, and that is something that I need more of in <laughs> my life, right? It doesn't come through in the podcast because this is a very <laughs> architected you know, scenario. I need your help. I need your help. Okay. And I'm sure there are listeners who need your help, help as you well. With? What can I help you with? So the first question is, why are we as humans so quick to anger? Or am I just projecting my own issues on all human beings? I think there's so many different reasons why. And, and I think the first thing we want to talk about is that people can re respond when they're angry in different ways, right? Some people have outbursts and reactions. Some people withdraw. And so it's kind of part of it is how we were socialized, what was our environment, what we were raised to believe was appropriate or okay with regards to anger responses. Another piece of it is what you're comfortable with. Some people who have parents who have these major outbursts then feel like it's not appropriate to react that way and they're withdrawn. So I think there's just so many factors here that there's not just one way of showing up. But why we become quick to anger is because made this a habit, right? What I really like to start to teach, and this will be, it can be talking for hours and hours, but just to chunk it down, is that a lot of times we have negative emotions, like other negative emotions, such as fear or shame, disappointment, embarrassment, whatever it is that we don't like to feel. And instead of feeling those emotions, because doctors don't know how to do that, right? We're taught not to feel our emotions and move on. But instead of feeling those negative emotions, we jump to anger instead. Because anger feels better in the heat of the moment. Anger feels like we're in control. Anger feels like it's powerful, right? Yeah. And so when we can go to that instead, we withhold or we have some sort of control over the situation, even though we don't. And when we keep doing that, anytime we have a situation that gives us another negative emotion, we create this neural pathway that becomes really efficient, really strong, where that becomes the automatic go-to. And that's what happens essentially. And even though we show up angry and after the fact, we may regret it or wish we hadn't shown up that way or question why we can't stop. The reason we can't stop is because we are trying to avoid those other negative emotions. We're so fearful of how bad they're going to feel or that we'll get stuck in them that we don't want to do it. We'd rather feel angry. A lot of this work is around first building awareness around what situations tend to set you off. And then once you've done that, really processing and making a plan for how you're going to handle it the next time a situation comes up. And that might mean you got to excuse yourself for a minute and take some breaths. Like I have, can teach all about a protocol or how many people want me to go here. But there are ways that we can start to manage our anger and, and be more in control and responsive with how we show up rather than reactive. And that's a lot of what I try to teach people. But the first step, honestly, is just being vulnerable to acknowledge that, hey, I don't like the way I'm showing up and it's okay. I want to make a change. Yeah. So it sounds like first identifying it's an issue and second, identifying what the triggers are. And then once you've identified the triggers are, you can then decide when that trigger happens, how you want to show up, how you're going to kind of short circuit that reaction. And it might not be every time you get angry. But if you can identify the common triggers, then at least you're breaking some of those habits. Right. And I like to say every time you get angry, it's an opportunity for growth for you to really dive into why you got set some, off. That's some fertile ground in my house. Okay. 
Right. But like, even for me, I was super angry yesterday and today because something hit a nerve, right? Something hit a nerve. And another a big part of this is when somebody says something or something happens to us that is an attack on us or we perceive it to be an attack on us and we believe it to be true, it hurts and we don't like the way it feels. We don't like that feeling of threat, that feeling of danger. So instead of feeling that way, we jump to anger, right? And so part of this is recognizing what are those threats for us? Where are our pain points? Where are we uncomfortable? And then reminding ourselves that we're really okay, we're safe in those situations. That danger that we're creating, it's the same. It's a physical threat. The face-eating bear versus an emotional threat. Our response is the same. So we can choose to be in power and how we want to show up simply by giving us ourselves a moment to pause and calm down. Did you just refer to a face-eating bear? <laughs> right? The cavemen would have face-eating bears and they would react. Yes. We have an emotional attack we can't differentiate. Our brains does not differentiate that from an attack. So we re respond the same way. We react the same way. Yeah. Well, that definitely resonates with me. Not that we were going to turn this into a coaching session with me, for me, <laughs> but we will. Oh, we can. You know, I come from a house of yellers and, you know, so my parents responded to things with yelling and then it worked. You know, they're like, but look at you and your brother. They, you were two upstanding, young, successful gentlemen. And now we were just on a vacation. Like, like I took, it was my parents' anniversary. We rented a vacation house. Our families got together and they saw me yell at my children. And instead of being horrified be, with me yelling at my children, they were like, they really deserved that. And I was like, no, no, not at all. I felt terrible about like responding. But yet in the moment I felt that way, it's in my DNA and I need to get it out so that they don't have these same issues that I have. And so, you know, I, I love that way that you put it so that we can you know, it's very methodical. It's very methodical. Like what puts you in that place most commonly? I was like, I should start keeping a journal and writing this stuff down so that when it does happen, right now I have a plan instead of just reacting, not putting their dishes in the sink or whatever, you know, not listening to me when I'm talking to them. Yeah. And it keeps on getting back to my kids here. I, I should probably give them a little more grace. Is not They're not face-eating bears. But that actually brings us to like, what about, when this happens in our professional lives, right? So that for me really, you know, speaks to how I should deal with it in my personal life. But is it any different how we react to anger in our professional versus or not react with anger in our professional versus our personal lives? Or is it the same formula? I think, well, the, the shifting it to a react from a reaction to a response is the same formula. But I think okay. the, the response of anger depends on our level of comfort in the situation, right? So if we are comfortable with our boss, they see us this way and we maybe had an anger response once and they didn't really have a problem with it, it's almost reinforced. Like it's, we become more comfortable doing it. I don't think there's really a difference. It's our level of how we want to show up. Like for me personally, I would not show up and yell and scream and be angry at the office. Mm -mm. But I'm pretty sure that my kids got to feel it when I got home, right? So I yeah. would reserve it because I knew I had to be professional at the office. I also knew I was the owner or co-founder of the practice. I didn't want to have people dealing with me with that. So I maintained that professionalism there. But my children suffered, right? Bottle it up and then open that bottle at home. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And so part of the awareness piece is not necessarily one situation that sets you off, but it's an undercurrent. So what I realized for me 
that was the undercurrent that was both at the office and at home was this sense of urgency, right? Like any time something would threaten my ability to complete this to-do list and any time this to-do list wasn't done perfectly by other people or by my kids, that would bring up this sense of urgency and I didn't like feeling the urgency, so I got angry instead. It's sometimes just noticing an undercurrent theme of what's going on. A big, Another big one for myself and other physicians is self-worth, right? Feeling like they're not worthy, like they have shifted careers or they want to do something else, or maybe people don't think they're good enough as a physician or they're worried about people's impression, other physicians' impressions of them as a physician, performing as a physician, anything that kind of was a question or a hit to the self-worth, rather than feeling a little unworthy or not valued, we get angry and sad. So there are so many different underlying emotions that we have that we don't want to feel. And that's really the heart of this work is figuring out what that is so that we can work on the anger piece. It's the end of another busy day. You just saw 20, 30 patients, maybe more. Instead of heading home for dinner with your spouse or playing with your kids, you now begin your night job, charting. Charting is critical for patient care, billing, and medical legal liability, but it steals our focus from our patients, eats away at our time with our families, and keeps us up at night. The burden of always having another chart to complete drains all of us. Freed listens, prepares your notes, and writes patient instructions for you. Charting is done before your patient walks out of the room. Wait, because it gets better. Freed learns your style over time. It's AI, just like a human scribe would, except it will never quit on you. Freed is loved by 3,000 plus clinicians from every specialty. It's HIPAA compliant, takes 30 seconds to learn, and costs only $99 a month. You can try Freed for free right now by going to freed.ai, F-R-E-E-D.ai. Listeners of the Physician's Guide to Doctoring can use the code PGD50 for $50 off the first month. Yeah, I think for me, it's also when my to-do list gets too long. And it's so for it's, it's control. I've lost control. And I think it's probably the same at home. It's my therapist would say the same thing. He's like, you're too controlling. That's why he was fired. And we got to find a new therapist. But <laughs> it's yeah, that's when I find myself when the loss of control. So yeah, I think that's another great point by identifying what the undercurrent is that's causing you to rely on the anger. Because again, it, it makes it feel like you're in control when you rely on the anger because it, it's a way of like shoehorning some form of control on it. It actually reminds me of like a Star Wars reference. Like it's you're turning to the dark side. It's easy. It's seductive. But once you've gone down the dark path, forever will it dominate your destiny? Okay, so maybe not that far. We can, we, we, we have methods of handling. So it doesn't necessarily dominate your destiny, destiny, as long as you recognize that there's work to be done here. Yeah. Instead of embracing the dark side, don't embrace the dark side. Don't embrace the dark side. Don't embrace it. Yes. I, I love to tell and remind people when emotion is high, intelligence is low, right? Because like I said, when we show up, we feel like we're in control. We feel like we have power. And most often, if we show up that way, we're actually losing power. We're losing credibility. We're losing our quite frankly, respect of other people because we are not able to perform to our best selves. We're not able to troubleshoot and think effectively. All these things are impacted when our emotions are running so high. So if we can give ourselves a moment to kind of calm down and breathe and just 
activate the parasympathetic nervous system, we can go back into the prefrontal cortex and really function from that space. And that's what we want to do to be amazing. Makes sense. Makes sense. One more question on this topic. And what is a feelings wheel? A feelings wheel. I actually, if I could share my screen, I would show it to you. A feelings wheel. Actually, I have one right here. It basically divides up and lists all of the feelings. So it starts with the main kind of categories of feelings, and then it breaks each of them up into more specific emotions. So for example, if I can read, because I don't have my glasses, I can't read this one. I can open it. But for anger, it might go into rage, exasperated, uh, envy, doubt. And then from there, you could have, for example, the envy breaks up into resentment and jealousy, right? So it, it's a further breakdown of the emotions from the main central emotions. So the main central emotions are fear, love, joy, surprise, sadness, and anger. So those I think all- there's, a, there's like a Pixar movie about that, right? There is, Inside Out. And I know this will come as a big surprise to you, but doctors are not very good at identifying their feelings. And so a feelings wheel is super helpful. That's when you what I mean. Exactly. That is so funny. That is so funny. Okay. So Michael, actually, that's a good segue because we're going to, we're going to talk to you next about, and actually my feelings of overwhelm when I haven't gotten to my to-do list, which is just growing, growing can be fixed by what we're going to be, we're, we're going to be talking to you about. Actually, so I'm going to skip ahead a little bit to calendaring. You guys made calendaring a verb. It's true. I mean, and I love that you're talking about overwhelm because, you know, Arpita and I, we talk about anger a lot. I think anger played a role in both of us seeking coaching initially, just wanting to show up better. And when we, when I specifically took a look at what would get me so worked up that I would get frustrated, that I would get angry. It was overwhelm far and away when I am feeling like there is too much to do and I can't figure out when it's all going to get done. The quickest response for me is frustration and anger. And so that is why I, I think that is how calendaring turns into a verb, because when you are looking for a solution for the overwhelm, it's knowing where all the things are going to get done. And so when you can find time in your schedule to put things in, then when you're sitting playing with your kids, your mind doesn't go to all of the things that you should be doing. Oh, I, I should be paying my bills. I should be taking out the garbage. I should be running to the grocery store. No, no, when all of that stuff is going to get done. So you do your calendaring. Which actually, and that was the, the main topic to talk to you about is being present. And so you know, you can be more present when everything, you know, everything else is going to get done. So you don't have to dwell on it anymore. Cause that's something that's always been on my, like, what am I going to do better this year? Actually, we just said Rosh Hashanah. I know this is not when, you know, this isn't when the episode is coming out, but for, for us, it was earlier this week. And so we talked about what do you want to do better? How do you want to show up better, be better in the coming year? And, you know, for me, it was being present and not being so quick to anger, being more patient. So both of those things are coming up today. So for those of us who do struggle with being present, maybe even when we do have a calendar, everything does have its place. You know, we're trying to play with our kids and we find our mind going to places we're not in the moment, right? Another Star Wars reference, when Yoda says he doesn't want to train Luke, he says, Never his mind on where he was, what he was doing. And it happens to me all the time. 
What are some tips or tricks that you can give us to help us remain in the moment? So, I mean, I think you are exemplifying the very first step, which is awareness. Most of us sitting down playing with the kids and the phone buzzes, we take our phone out. The next thing you know, you're on social media, you're scrolling, you forgot what you were sitting and doing with your kids anyway, you get up, you walk away. And it all happened so quickly that you don't even realize what just happened. And so it all starts with recognizing, no, 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 wait, I am intentionally and deliberately sitting down. I want to play with my kids. I want to be present here. And then identifying what things that are distracting you, right? So, so for so many of us, it's technology, right? So I love the do not disturb function on my phone. And even leaving my phone in another room altogether is really super helpful for helping me to stay present and focused. So what are the distractions? Is it something physical like technology or is it your, is it your thoughts? Is it your brain? Is it the fact that there are so many things swirling around? If that's it, right, then journaling and what we like to refer to as a thought download or a brain dump can be really helpful because sometimes we don't even know all the things that are going in our, on in our mind. I like it. I've heard it said, and I really like this saying a lot, that the brain produces thoughts like the mouth produces saliva, right? So it's always happening. We don't recognize it's happening. We're dealing with all the time. But it's not something that is front of mind. And so when you can sit down, journal through, write down all of your thoughts, get them out on paper, you give yourself an opportunity to clear out all the stuff so that when you are sitting with your kids, you can focus on them and not all the other things that are clouding it. It seems like a lot of journaling. I'm supposed to, you know, meditate. I'm supposed to have a gratitude journal. Now I'm using it as a brain dump. Like, it seems like I'm not even going to have time to spend with my kids, let alone be present with them when I'm doing all this, you know, I've got a calendar when I'm doing all this other stuff. So how, you know, can we be over systematizing and over doing it with all of this stuff that we're supposed to be doing? So I, I love that you're saying supposed to be doing because you're not, you don't, you're not supposed to be doing any of these things. All right. Because the social media gurus will make it seem like I should be doing all of this stuff enough. I'm not living up to my potential. Yes. Well, I get it. And I think all of these things have their place, right? And you, it's not that you have to be doing all of these things all of the time, but I know Arpita and I have talked on several occasions. She has a fantastic gratitude practice that is incorporated into like brushing her teeth in the morning and in the evening. So this is, taking away time that she wants to be spending with her family. It's just built into another habit that she's doing what James Clear and a lot of, you know, habit, pro-habit people will, will refer to as habit stacking. So yeah. you can figure out how to incorporate these things into your life without them taking away time from the things that you want to be doing. I will. I'll tell you about my habit stacking, but I want to just say one thing is that we we do beat ourselves up when we're not present with our kids, when we're not hanging out, playing with them on the floor. And it's okay. Like you can also think about the fact that I hate doing that. I remember when the kids had all their little play mats on the floor in the attic and I despised it. And I beat myself up for not wanting to sit on the floor playing with these kids. Now I know if I don't want to spend the time with them that way, that doesn't bring me joy. It doesn't make me feel like I'm present with them. I can figure out a different way. I can go to the zoo. I can go to the park. Like what brings me joy when I'm spending time with them? So it can yeah. look like we beat ourselves up for how it's supposed to look. 
that's where we kind of can kind of build some awareness too. Gratitude practices really quick. In the morning, I just ask myself while I'm brushing my teeth, what am I thankful for and why? And the why puts me in the moment a little bit longer. So I really get to feel the gratitude. And in the evening, I ask myself, same thing when I'm brushing my teeth, what went well today? List three things that went well. One time, the dog did not have diarrhea, for God's sake, on the carpet, right? It doesn't have to be big. It has to just be something where you can refocus your brain on the good so that you're not only focusing on the negative. But I think Michael Hirsch talks about this too with the, you know, the habit stacking and how do we refocus ourselves when we are not feeling present? I mean, you've, you've done a lot of blog posts and and social media posts about it. I guess, what are your tips then? Like if you felt like there was a dad, I think these are the dads that are beating, well, maybe the moms, moms are beating ourselves up too, but we're both doing it. Everybody's doing it. How would you tell them if you give them two, three tips, what, what would you tell them to do? Wait, what I mean, podcast I is this? Do <laughs> <laughs> you want oh, me to answer? Please. Yeah, please. Okay, please all right. Please. <laughs> My loss of control. It's making it's, me angry. Yeah. But I mean, the first the first part is embracing self-compassion, right? Nobody gets it right every time. Nobody. Even all the gurus on social media that are telling you how you should be doing things. Nobody does it right 100% of the time. And then again, you know, this gets into asking yourself those the questions about why did things not go the way that I wanted them to? And I'm going to bring this back. Brad, to you, you had mentioned that sometimes like when your kids leave dirty dishes in the sink, that's something that that could activate you, you know, asking yourself why, like, what are you making the is in the sink mean? Because it's the answer to that question that gets you to the next time you see the dirty dishes in the sink, remembering like, oh, no, they just were like busy trying to play Nintendo or whatever. And so. I'm not going to respond in the way that I responded the last time because I want to be showing up differently as a dad. And it's getting into those, like really digging into be like, well, what am I making it mean that really helps transform the response moving forward? I like that. I like that a lot. Our Peter talked about the feelings wheel. Michael, I want you to talk about the Eisenhower matrix. Yeah, I, I thought that this is a really interesting concept and it is called the Eisenhower matrix or the Eisenhower box. And I was like, I, I wonder, does this have anything to do with Dwight D. Eisenhower? And in fact, it does. He is genuinely the creator of the Eisenhower box. And this is how he helped to make all of his important decisions when he was in all of his very high level roles. Es- essentially, this matrix splits things up into four quadrants. There is urgent and non-urgent and important and non-important. And then you are able to stratify all of the things in your life that you need to get done into the different quadrants. And that helps you to prioritize the things that are most urgent and important to you over the things that are non-urgent and non-important. And I'm, I'm going to kind of skip to the punchline and say anything that lands in that bottom quadrant of non-urgent and non-important, that's the stuff that never gets done. You never waste any time on that stuff. And the stuff that lands in the important or in the in in the urgent, but not important, like you can have other people be doing these things for you. You can outsource some of these things. You know, I think, uh, you know, Arpita and I use virtual assistants. You can find other people that can help you get these things done so that you can focus on the things that are most important to you 
like your family, like exercise. These are non-urgent things, but they're important and you want to create time for them. And the calendaring, I think, is a way to get those non-urgent but important things because if you're on your calendar, you're more likely to do them, right? You've found the time for them. And, and, and Arpita, I really like the brushing the teeth, you know, that particular habit stack because I am, that's where I'm using my right hand to brush, my left hand, I'm applying my Rogaine. And so now I've got three things that I'm doing all this at the same time. That is efficiency right there. This has been a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. I'm sure my, my audience have, has gotten a ton from it. So if they want to take a deeper dive with you all, they can find you on podcast and on YouTube at Doctors Living Deliberately. Is there any particular place either on social media or otherwise you want them to find you? Yes. So for me, it's thoughtworkmd.com is my website. And on Facebook and LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram, the same thing, ThoughtworkMD. On LinkedIn, it's Arpita De Palma. And I would love to hear from you. Yes. And my website, betterphysicianlife.com. You can find me at Better Physician Life on Facebook and Instagram and on LinkedIn at Michael Hirsch, MD. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for what you're doing for physicians. And thank you so much for your time. Thanks so much for having us. Bye. Before we go, be sure to check out the incredible work of Edward Dabdab and Dabdab Law Firm. For more information and expert guidance on disability insurance claims, visit their website, longtermdisability.net. Thanks for listening. I have a favor to ask. You listened to the episode until the end, which means you either fell asleep or you really liked the episode. So please share it or like it or comment on a social media post or write us a five-star review, something. It would really help me out. And maybe what you learned from this episode can help someone else too. The views expressed in this episode are those of the interviewer and interviewee and don't represent the views of their employer or even their significant other. Even though the magic of podcasting make it sound like I'm talking directly to you. This is not a doctor-patient relationship, and this is not medical advice or financial advice or really any advice. Thank us again for listening to the Physician's Guide to Doctoring.